We're back, like seriously back this time, we promise, and just in time too, because while it's only been about two weeks since we last released a podcast, that's basically a lifetime in football. This is the Football Faithful Podcast, brought to you in association with our new sponsor, footballindex.co.uk. I'm your host, Sam Steen, and joining me, as always, to run the rule over the football action is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi, Ant. How are we doing, lads? And Deck Coleman. Hi, Deck. Hello. Right, let's uh, start as we always do then with the uh, moment of the week, Peter. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with, uh, I had a couple other things penciled in, but Jamie Vardy won it um, on Sunday afternoon with his, his flapping eagle celebration to the, to the Crystal Palace fans. Just classic shithousery by Vardy. Um, you, you love to see a player giving it to, uh, to, to fans like that after they've given him stick. And he just... He's in red hot form, Vardy. The way he's the way he put he's putting away chances. He only needs one chance at the moment. And I don't know if you remember earlier on in the season uh, against Sheffield United, he rifled one into the top corner, and obviously with the Sheffield Wednesday connection, he had his he almost in the same motion as he hit the shot. He had his hands up and up and up to his ears to the to the Sheffield United fans. So uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Vardy just seems to be the kind of fellow who loves a bit of needle, so maybe fans should stop doing him. That might mess with his head <laughs> a little bit going forward. But yeah, I, I was uh, that 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 made me that made me lol on Sunday when I see, saw Jamie Vardy doing that. So that's my moment to lose. Yeah, yeah, he, he is indeed. He's he's the like the. Can we make it the Jamie Vardy lovable prick of the week or something like that award? Yeah, I, I was actually really tempted to put him in at the end as a lovable prick, but I thought I'd just go with, with him as the moment of the week because it was. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And um, well, I just think hearing Peter Henry say "lol" was um, <laughs> was was, was, was really To be fair, um, no, I, I don't know if any any of you guys saw it, but the um, on goals on Sunday, um, Chris Kamara had an absolutely lovely little rant about the offside on Bobby Firmino at Villa Park. Um, he went full on ranting and raving. Conspiracy theories all all over the place. Uh, just, just, just having a good old rant. Just generally getting off his chest. What I think a lot of us have been saying about VAR as fans. Um, but I think what capped it off for me was when he got, you know, the they showed you footage of him actually getting a piece of paper and holding it up to the line on this on the screen, just going full <laughs> classroom demonstration just to show that it was on side. It was like a little bit of a Blue Peter moment on goals on Sunday. It was just quality to watch. Like you know, it was really good. I love his passion. That was great. Deck. Uh, my one is more of. Um... Me just wearing my Liverpool pajamas this week. Yeah. Uh, it's Sadio Mane's winner. It was uh, just, actually I, I could put in the last the last five or six minutes of that game was the moment of the week because it was a it was a moment where as soon as Liverpool scored the equaliser, I just felt the game they were going to win the game and uh, it just we've gone through so much torment in. The Premier League era, especially of uh, Fergie time and all that, and United scoring late goals, and now it's been called cloppage time. So um, I'm, I'm delighted with that. Like, that because, is great uh, to be fair. Yeah, it's it's about time Liverpool started doing things like that. So and obviously there's there's a good uh, there's a good trend there since um, I think since Origi's goal last year, um, there's something like 15. They've scored 15 goals in the last after the 80th minute since January last year and I think 11 of them have come after the 86th minute so um, yeah that's that's the moment of the week because it just shows that, that 
Liverpool are kind of really, really serious about things this year. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, put, put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to you about that in, in just a couple of minutes' time. But uh, first, Peter, I wanted you to tell us just a little bit about our, our new sponsor. That's uh, footballindex.co.uk. You know, if anyone uh, doesn't already know Football Index, it's basically a stock market for for footballers where you you buy and sell different players and their value goes up and down. Um, it's it's kind of obviously you you know you you can win and you can lose money, but it's a bit different than a normal bet in that you know if if you bet if you buy twenty euros worth of players, even if the value goes down, you'll never lose all your money if you know what I mean. So, like yeah, it's 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 actually really if you try I've tried been trying my hand at it lately, and it's actually it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Um, like just different things you can do. You can look for players, you know, who who you think have potential who, you know, are going to shoot up in value. If, if a player has been out of form, you think he's going to come back into form, the, the value can go up and down. You can even look for players in the championship or lower leagues that you think are going to are going to get a move and, you know, their value will go up over time. So it's it's really interesting uh, way to to test your judgment to players and, and form and stuff. So, um, so it's a bit yeah, like uh, really- fantasy football, but putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, similar in a yeah, it is similar in a way. Um, yeah, we're 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 really happy now to be working with Football Index, and they've given us and for all our listeners, anybody who signs up through the website, they'll get a, a free twenty your uh, twenty pound bonus when they sign up for their account. So uh, yeah, so the link will be in the bio um, of the podcast, and we'll be doing some features on the website as well. So uh, keep your eye out. Nice one. Or when you register, you can just use the code FF20 and uh, that'll sort you out as well. Uh, right then, let's move on and let's go to Liverpool as we were talking about them. And actually, touching on what you were saying, Deck, that's what I want to get back to because there's been a lot of late goals. And, you know, down through the years, we've kind of said that's a sign of a te- of a winning team, you know, because basically United were doing it and they were winning leagues by doing that. Uh, and I wonder, is that how you feel about this now? Or is it a bit like almost like Spurs... Last year, or was it two years ago, they were eking out these results, getting these late winners, but it just felt like they were running faster than they were able to, and they were just, you know, I mean, it was like the wheels were about to fall off. Is there any concern about any of that with this Liverpool side? Not really. I mean, I I think a, a few weeks ago, a good few weeks ago, now I know I've had some of my uh, some of my pessimistic thoughts put out on, on the airways, all right? Like, but um, I, know, I know I said a few weeks ago about Liverpool that I was going to try and enjoy this season for for what they were doing and actually they're probably they're they're definitely not as uh, not as exciting to watch as they have been in previous years but that's because they haven't been they they haven't been as uh, probably vulnerable as they would have been before and but obviously the other side of it is they're not scoring like you know four or five goals a game like that they did for a lot of the time last season and stuff so from that side of things I can see the point you're making but I don't think so. I, I think, like, in this game at the weekend against Villa, yeah, Villa got the goal after 20, 21 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and they probably had another one, one and a half chances maybe to score. But I thought Liverpool were well in control. And they've the games they've played recently where they haven't been scoring late, they've been dominating possession. They've been creating decent chances. Obviously, not unbelievable clear-cut chances. They haven't been putting away the chances as they, up until late in the game. Like, but I thought the game at the weekend against Villa, they really, really dominated the game. I know Villa had a game plan, and you know it was all about sitting in and trying to trying to stifle Liverpool. 
but it seemed like it was only a matter of time. And I, I can remember while I was watching it, I didn't, you know, for about two minutes before the goal, I was out on the edge of my seat thinking, oh, Jesus, come on, like, we need a goal here. But up until the 80th minute, I wasn't really panicking. And then the panic set in, and probably two or three minutes after I started panicking a bit, Robertson <laughs> scored. And as soon as Robertson scored, I genuinely felt we were going to win the game. And I... I kind of felt that way in the last few few weeks in the last game even going back to the United game I was disgusted with the performance for a lot of that game but as soon as Liverpool equalised in that game I thought they were going to win the game as well but in the last few weeks it's been it's been more prominent and I, I don't think anyone is surprised by it now as well in the in the last few minutes when they go on and win a game and I know it's easy to say oh that's a sign of title winners and all this and and then they go in you know throw it away but I think this game in particular was huge because we spoke about it, I think, a couple of weeks ago as well. Going into this run of fixtures with Man City next week, and if Man City had, like, obviously Man City won uh, their game and they were they were losing for a lot of the game, but if Liverpool didn't get maximum points in this game, then going into the Man City game next week, it puts so much pressure on Liverpool because of the trend they've set in previous years when they're when they're leading the pack, and then it gets to a point where there's there's maybe three or four games that are tight or that could go either way, and then they end up you know, relinquishing their advantage that way. But I think this was a really big moment for it because they didn't they didn't throw away this game and going into Man City next week. Now, even if Man City do beat Liverpool, there's still the momentum or there's still the there's still that little gap. Now on the other side if Liverpool win it, it could go to I think it could go to nine, nine points, points and that, yeah. that's massive. But it's in it's more so in Liverpool's hands now, I think, than than it ever has been because even last year, in I think it was around around Christmas in January and stuff, was when Liverpool dropped the points that time, and it was it was in and around playing Man City as well. And I think it seemed more like the fear of dropping points against Man City actually caused them to drop points against other teams before and after it, you know. And and just the, this game just before playing Man City, I think it's huge to get that win, and I, I think it it could really be a, a really big defining moment in the season. And I think as well, we'll probably get onto it later with with um, with the Man City game. But even Pep's comments after the game, I think it just shows how seriously it, he's definitely. No, I, I know he's taking Liverpool seriously, but I think really he's starting to realise now that this is probably the real deal this time around. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We, we certainly will get onto that. And um, but it's not just I think Pep that's taking him seriously. Is is that perhaps why Liverpool are finding it harder? to break teams down earlier in the in the, in the games that other teams are taking them as a more serious proposition then or, or what is it is are, is there any I, I, maybe I'm just trying to pick holes in this Liverpool side and, and find where there's is there something wrong is there is there a reason why they're not battering teams like Dex said there's a couple of things um, that I, I have noticed this season and that have made me a little bit twitchy I suppose about watching Liverpool and um, I, I suppose what would be the measure of this team as the real deal is is how they can cope with sort of leading the pack. If you're a Liverpool fan, you've grown up um, supporting them in the Premier League the way I have and you've, you've not seen them win the title. There's just a couple of moments against Villa where they, they looked a little bit sketchy in front of goal, um, lacked a little bit of composure. Um, I thought that Old Trafford against Manchester United completely froze in that match. Um, and I was really worried about that because I know we've done that in previous years. But, you know, you have to go in with this mentality. Man City aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, OK, we're six points clear of them. But we need to now show that we've got this mentality to go out and win games. And we have made it a little bit difficult for ourselves in recent games. OK, you're not going to go and smash teams 3-4-0 every week. 
But it, I think that has always been the big thing for me. And I've always said that if Liverpool are going to win the league, um, they're going to have to sort of fight their own demons as well, somewhat. Um, so whether they can do that this season, um, I, I think that there's been a couple of things. There's definitely fatigue in the squad. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about the amount of games some of these players are playing. Firmino and Mane are playing every week. Salah's clearly carrying a knock. Um, you know, Henderson's missed training again today for the Champions League tomorrow night. He's become a very important player for our system. Um, so there's little bits and pieces, but by and large, the, the mentality that's been beaten into them um, is it, it, giving me a bit more confidence. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the Spurs comparison, Sam, and I, I understand that because ultimately Spurs is slightly comparable to Liverpool, but we've then gone on with this team to win the Champions League. Um, which was crucial, and we, we finished second with 97 points last season. Um, I, I think we, we've sort of clicked up a few more gears from where Spurs have ever managed to get with that team. So I, I think I know this team's got the quality. I know the mentality is there. It's just it'll be really interesting now to see. And I, you know, there's a lot of talk about the pressure being on Man City for that game next week. And you know, you're right that on the surface of things, if we win that game, we go nine points clear. But also that heaps a ton of pressure on Liverpool because. Um, that's a massive advantage to have going into the sort of real business, one of the busiest parts of the season, one of the real sort of business ends of the season, if you like, over Christmas. If we can go into that Christmas period, nine points clear, that's massive. And it also psychologically is huge on City as well because they've got to try and win the Champions League this year as well. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. And if, if Liverpool can deal with it, I know Klopp's there and he's talking about them enjoying themselves, but... This is massive. It's it, it's thirty years about winning the league for a club the size of Liverpool, and and if if we can, if we can just beat those mental demons and and just sort of you know look a bit more commanding and composed in games, then I'll feel a little bit better. But at the moment, I'm, I'm there's been times I've been watching between fingers. I've been a bit, little bit nervous. I think because there's so much riding on the season, but um, I, I I don't I just don't I, I think if we can get past that underdog mentality and be comfortable as as outrunners as front runners then, you know, we'll have really turned the corner as a football club, but we've still got that underdog mentality. Even the Champions League win last season, coming back from Barcelona, 3-0 down, it was almost impossible. And that was just typical of Liverpool in my lifetime. We made things so bloody hard for ourselves and still somehow did it. And it's great. It was fantastic. But I almost like, I think we now need to start winning things with more composure, more sort of, you know, the club talks about them being mentality monsters, that's great, but they've got to do it for a full season. You've got to get that title win. Um, if we are truly looking at the teams in in the corner as you know, getting that monkey off our shoulder and winning that psychological battle. And I think that'll be really, really interesting to see how they get on. Right then, Peter, talking about, uh, let's stay with City then, because as Anne said, they sort of eked through their own result and it is going to be a massive game next week. Uh, what way do you think that's going to go? Um, I, I put my money on Liverpool at the moment. Um, I think over the last few years... <clears throat> They've had some, they've had some cracking games. I think the season before last, Liverpool definitely seemed to seem to have City's mark um, in the Champions League ties, and when they they bet them at Anfield as well in the league. Um, I think last year, what was it, nil nil when Riyad Mahrez missed a penalty, and then obviously the two one just in, you know, I think it was just after Christmas that kind of saw City go on and win the league afterwards, but. I I just think I just think this year because City I think even City when they had their full choice back four in place they they would struggle to contain Liverpool um, and I think now when they have you know 
a Stones or an Odomendi or Fernandinho back there, I think Liverpool will just have too much for them going forward. Although it is Man City, um, Liverpool probably aren't... In fact, Liverpool just don't look anywhere near as solid defensively as, as they did last season. So, you know, as much... I, I'd look it on the balance, I would back Liverpool. But having said that, City have so much quality in, in their team that they could easily, you know, they can easily score a couple of goals against you quite quickly. So um, I, 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 I personally think Liverpool have the edge in that game. Um, City are still an absolute class outfit, of course. Um, the two games seem to be something of a like a, a carbon... I know there was different teams. One, Liverpool were away. City were at home against a team that had been beaten 9-0 in the last Premier League game. But the, the game seemed to take kind of similar patterns in that the, the smaller team, shall we say, scored an early goal and then really, really frustrated both teams. Um, so it was pretty interesting watching it. I was I was actually watching the Liverpool game because it was on the TV and you were just waiting for this. Once City scored the first one, you definitely knew they were going to get, get the next one. And um, yeah, and then of course Liverpool... Liverpool uh, did what Liverpool did after. Um, so, that, yeah. that almost made the end of the game even more entertaining than the game itself because uh, that must have been brutal for City fans, I imagine. You know, they, they think that they've closed the gap like that and then because the, the Liverpool game was a little bit later, wasn't it? Yeah. It's almost like a six-point swing after the game has ended. No, they were both on at the same time. So. No, I know, but it ended like about three minutes afterwards. Ah, okay, right, yeah, yeah, no, I get you. Um, yeah, listen, that that's what I'm sure you you know that yourself, being a Man United fan back back in the day when we were involved in tight races. You're you you're you're looking at your own. You're you're not only looking for your own team's results. You're looking for the the two or three teams in and around you. You're constantly keeping an eye on their results as well. So um, I I personally think like like the lads were kind of saying earlier on. I just think. If City had got that back to three points before next week, and even if they had it drawn, they would have had a way at Liverpool's lead over the last few weeks, and it, you know, it would have Liverpool would have would have been feeling the heat more than Man City would have been. So, um, yeah, and absolutely, I, I, it was it was a massive result for Liverpool, and kind of like you were saying, um, it, it, it probably a bit demoralising for for Man City as well when they probably came off the pitch. Um, sorry, I thought you meant you thought one was on earlier, but yeah, it was a few minutes later. So they probably come off the pitch and thought, yeah, here we go. We're we're gonna in, within three points ahead of what's the biggest game of the season for both teams so far next week. Um, and yeah, and to, to get that snatched away from you, even though. They'd probably been on a high after after coming back and getting getting a late win themselves. I fe- felt I'd say they felt fairly flat um, afterwards when they heard the Liverpool result come to come through. So it, it should be an absolutely fa- fascinating um, encounter because th- there are two teams that, um, that that play excellent football. I'm not going to go all out and say it'll be an amazing game because I I did that last season. I was saying two managers never take a backward step. This is going to be brilliant. And the one that would nil nil at Anfield last year was dross. It was a really poor game, actually. Yeah, it was a terrible game. Think, Awful. I think Guardiola has he's he has such a respect for Klopp now that he doesn't go after Liverpool the way he does all the other teams. And it just it means the games can be 
quite cagey. Although the one at the Eddie had last season was was very very good. It'll be high quality without necessarily having loads of chances. Would be the way I would look at it. Although kind of you have to caveat that with there's just so much attacking. There's so many match winners on the pitch that you, that you just never know. Um, yeah, Andrew, I I believe that that Liverpool will be nine points ahead come next Sunday evening. Um, but then they have this kind of really hectic Christmas coming up, so they might need that cushion as well with all the football they're going to have to play. And they don't have the biggest of squads, Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool. I think. Liverpool have been quite lucky that Mane and Salah have been and Van Dijk um, have been fit. Kind of haven't missed much football through last season as well. So it, it will be very interesting to see how Liverpool cope with, with one of their big players out for a while. And it's City have had to deal with it a lot. City have had a really City have had a, a, tor- a torrid time with injuries, especially at the back. Um, and you know they've they've had to put up with a, a lot of injuries even last season. So. Um, it, it it'll even if they Liverpool go nine points up, it, it definitely won't be over because, you know, leads can be built or evaporated over the space of nine or ten days between Christmas and January. So um, it'll be a big advantage for Liverpool, of course, but it there'll still be a long way to go. Although there's one stat I read today which is really interesting, and um, since last January, Liverpool have gone behind eight times in games. In the Premier League, and they've won six, drawn one, and lost one. So that that's a phenomenal stat. And yeah, they, they the way they're coming back and doing it, even the Leicester game. I think a lot of people misread. Um, I don't know a lot of the reports when Guardiola said about Mane diving. For me, he was. I know Mane got booked in the Aston Villa game, and I think a lot of people linked it to that. But for me, he was actually talking about the Leicester game. You remember the late penalty when it, yeah yeah he, probably, as well. he probably uh, didn't have time to to, to know exactly, about the one yeah exactly that's that's um yeah but a lot of a lot of publishers went with the wrong hook then yesterday so um yeah it'll be I don't know does talk is that mind games I don't know no, but, what, what about I, uh, I the mind games because I like mind games are fun Guardiola and Klopp are a bit too respectful to him <laughs> that's true you know. Well, well, I, like, I don't think you can do mind games of Klopp, can you? He just laugh at you. He's, just, he's a bit impervious. I would say he could get under his skin quite easily, and he's 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 not really. There's this. Well, it, is someone getting under Pep skin? That's what I wanted to get at. Because Jack, you mentioned it earlier. Rent free in his head. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking. I mean, that's why he's that's why he's making the comments he's making. I know. I, I think there was a there was a a bit of a joke about it as well. But I think I think man is in his head. Like I think he knows that. Mane has now become Liverpool's most dangerous player, and he—I think he's shitting out of him for next week, especially he, with the way with the backline that they have at the moment. He wanted to sign Mane at Bayern from uh, was it Salzburg he played Salzburg. for? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, and he so he he's a long-term admirer of Mane's as well. So you never know; he might have tried to get him. Um, more than once so it could be a, a slight you know that that would hurt him even more than if it was a player he was after that he didn't get you know so yeah Pe- yeah Pep is, Pep is getting very chippy at the moment and I guess that I, I suppose it's understandable in a certain way people are writing his team off and it is mental to think that they could be nine points adrift next weekend despite having been unbelievable <laughs> all season um, I just hope next week he starts coming out with all these facts that uh 
prove why uh, Liverpool are getting more advantages than Man City, it would just be brilliant. <laughs> Talk about facts. Facts. Yeah, exactly. but it, it, I miss a bit of bit, bit of snide between the managers. You know, it, it's it's a it's a bit of it's a bit of laugh. You like, you know, the, I, I I did find. Yeah, since Jose went, it's all been a bit nice, hasn't it? Like. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, more on that. He might be back sooner than yeah. we think. Uh, to be fair, there was a little bit of shithosery out of Pep during that game. I don't know, did you see it? Um, yeah, when, that's right, yeah, when he was giving out about them holding manager. the ball, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then when they went 2-1 up, he got the ball and he ran over to the Sorrentum assistant manager and handed him the ball, so <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see. Uh, let's talk about Chelsea then, Peter. Uh, your beloved Chelsea, who uh, continue their good run of form with, uh, with a 2-1 win. Yeah, well, okay, Sam, I wouldn't go beloved. It's pushing it a bit, a bit too far, too far. But, um, yeah, no, they were, they were they were very impressive against Watford, although, Jesus, they, it, was, it was, you know, squeaky bum time there, there at the end. Um, but, yeah, some really impressive football. I think I touched on it about when we did our last pod four years ago or whatever it was that I've been really impressed with with uh, Jorginho and his, his pass for Tammy Abraham's opener, uh, you know, pretty much a blind pass just into space behind, curled around the back four. Um, there's really not much room for error with that pass because a couple of feet later, the goalkeeper comes out, a couple of feet too far, to go, the goalkeeper will come out and get it. And, you know, a couple of feet too short, the defender clears it. So a superb, superb piece of play and a real show that that striker and midfielder are exactly on the same page probably you know they, they've it's something they've worked on because it's not the first time I've seen Jorginho try that type of pass either um, some really slick um, passing football you know my man Mason looks sharp he rattled the ball with a with a thunderous strike Pulisic I don't know if it was by design but it kind of looks like Lampard's played it very well with him by kind of easing him into the team. Um, he already has, I think it's four goals now. In his la- he's four in his last two, which is as many as he ever scored in a season for Borussia Dortmund. So he's certainly looking sharp. Even the players on the bench are knocking the door. Um, the, the standout for me, though, really, on, on um, at Vicarage Road was Kovacic. He, he's, he just glides by players, and, and it's, such, it's such an asset to have a midfielder that can, like he's a great passer of the ball. He can break the lines with the pass, but when he doesn't see, when there isn't a pass on, he just, he, he can glide, he can break through the lines um, with his ability to dribble. It's, it's, it's such an asset for a team and there's, there's very few central midfielders around that can do it. I used to be a big fan of Moussa Dembele when he played for Spurs because it, it was such a, such a weapon, um, you know, him being able to bring his team up the pitch um, with the ball at his feet, because you know you, you're breaking the, you're not just breaking the line into another player, and that player then having to take a touch and go in. You're actually already moving forward, and your your more attacking midfielder can already start making another run as well. So it's very hard to defend against. So um, yeah, the, the, they're obviously they had the blip against Man United uh, in the Carabao Cup, but. You know, I, I'd be as, as enjoyable as that was for a man as a Man United fan, and it's always good to win at Stamford Bridge. I kind of got the impression in the last ten minutes that Chelsea weren't overly arsed about getting back into the game. They didn't go for it as much as they would had it been a Premier League game or uh, 
you know, or an FA Cup, whatever, any type of European game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think Leicester and Chelsea have obviously, there's like a five point gap now between fifth and five or six point gap. I think it's the biggest gap ever at this stage of the season between fifth and fourth. Um, and no doubt, it, Lampard, it's been really impressive. Still question marks defensively. That's why I'd, I would definitely wouldn't be saying they're going to be, you know, challenging for the league or anything like that. Um, but you know he's he's racking up the wins, seven away wins in a row. Um, but they, both Chelsea and Leicester have definitely been helped by Man United, Arsenal, and um, and Spurs being being, being shit shows, yeah. being <laughs> shit shows. You know, so um, they're looking very very comfortable for the top four. And I think if well, they do, if you not if if the other three of the tra- traditional top six. Um, continue to be terrible basically and they open up a bit of a lead into that top four it'll actually give them a chance to really concentrate on the cup competitions and that's where I think they they can really do some damage this year so you know they're playing they're playing at home tomorrow in the Champions League against Ajax they started poorly in that in uh, in that with a with a home loss to Valencia but they've gone and won away at Ajax and Lille so if they beat Ajax tomorrow they're virtually qualified. Nine points, new, new, yeah, you normally gets you through, like you know. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's looking really, really, really rosy for them. So, uh, and th- you know what? They're actually a good team to watch. They play good football, um, and they're a bit ropey at the back, so it's always a bit exciting as well. There. Uh, well, I was just going to yeah. go on from that because uh, apparently they're appealing the uh, transfer ban and there's a chance that that could be lifted in time for them to sign some players in January. I, I know Lampard has mentioned that he might be bringing in some players. So, and would that be players at the back then? And I mean, if they were to do that, then, well, they'd be in really good shape. Yeah, I think if if they can add a, a, um, a bit of a command in centre-back and, a, and to come in and add a bit more discipline to the back four, then I think they're really, they've got the bare bones of a, of a very good team. Um, I think Kepa can... Kepper on his day is a solid goalkeeper. He still looks a little bit erratic at times, but sort of one to eleven, they've got they look very good at the moment. Sorry, and and one thing I for just sorry to interrupt you, but they've done it all without Rudiger and Kante. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's that's the, yeah. I don't know where Kante's even going to go. You have to play him though. Like, yeah, I, I think that would be the worrying thing. though, if you're a Chelsea fan, I mean, I I don't mind Rudiger, and I can see why he's popular, but. I think they've had so many better defenders than him down the years, and I'm not being you know derogatory about him. I think he's a, he's a good head on the ball, he's a good sort of solid defender on his day, and when he's in the team, they do look a bit more solid. But I think he reminds me a little bit of um, of a Matip or someone like that at Liverpool. If you get a top class centre back next to Rudiger, you can come in and and you know marshal that back forward and. Um, you know, really give some shape and some semblance of, of organisation, and they've got the real bare bones of, of of what could be a very good, very very young team as well under Lampard. I mean, other than the defensive recruits, if you go through the team, I know Pete mentioned Kovacic and Jorginho, and he was right too. You know, but if if you look at them two combined, you know, these are players who played for Napoli and Real Madrid, and they've won major trophies. They've got experience um, in, in in playing in good sides and, and playing with heightened expectations. Willian's the same, very good footballer, very experienced. He's getting on a little bit, you can you could say, but he's still. I thought he was excellent against Watford, and then obviously the the, the blend of of youth at the moment in with those experienced players. 
I, if they lift the transfer ban, yeah, they probably will be looking to bring a few players in. But I don't think it's it's quick. Let's go and sign five players. I don't think they need to do that. I think it just needs a couple of complementary players to come in and maybe add a bit more sort of discipline and 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 know how at the back. Because as Pete says, they are susceptible and that'll stop them from challenging for the league. Um, but other than that, they, they look a really attacking team and they're they're, they're a very very sort of refreshing team to watch this season. Um, all credit to Lampard for it because I thought it would go completely the other way. Uh, Deck, let's chat about the third best team in the league. That's Leicester. Uh, before we get on to the <laughs> shit shows after the uh, after the quiz, that uh, <laughs> uh, they keep doing it. I, I mean, I, I think Peter said a, a couple of weeks back that nah, nah, they're going to drop off. But is it another one of those seasons where they're just going to keep plugging away and defying expectations, or is this what we should expect of this group of players? Because it's a good team when you look through it. Yeah, it's a good team. I think uh, I think there should be. I mean, we spoke about it early in the season that we were a lot of us thought that they should have been top six. I think I may have said something about them breaking into the top four, and I was kind of going out on a limb a little bit. I wasn't I wasn't very confident in saying it, but I think now they're almost a shoe in. They're really, really good. They're really good on the ball. They're very solid defensively. Uh, Sayunku and Evans have been excellent. Um, they seem to have the perfect blend of of everything, really. They've they've got a, a decent commanding keeper. As I said, the two centre-backs are really good. They're both good on the ball. They're both good in the air. They're aggressive. Uh, they don't lack too much pace. Their full-backs are, like, Pereira's are an absolute rocket. Chilwell seems to be, uh, I, I would maybe say, poor man's Andy Robertson. He's, um, he's, he's a very good player, and he, he gives a bit of everything. Their midfield is really good. I I think Thielmans is unbelievable. I think he's really... Uh, Pete was mentioning about Kovacic earlier, and I think Thielmans would be in a similar mould. His his technique, the way he strikes the ball, the way he makes passes, he's able to dribble. He can do a bit of everything, and he's starting to he's starting to really have a big effect on that team. And obviously, we know about the likes of Madison and Vardy and things like that. And we, we spoke about them a couple of weeks ago as well, and I was singing Wilfred and Didi's praises. And... You watch the goals they're scoring, and they're starting to score like ones where they're keeping a ball for maybe five, six into ten passes. They're they're still able to use Verdi's pace on the break to to go back to front quickly. They they just have a bit of everything, and I mean it's probably something Brendan Rodgers will say. Oh, you should have all expected it all along because I'm brilliant, but um, <laughs> he is doing quite a good job there. And I, I mean it's probably it's probably no coincidence that. That it's his team are doing it, but also he's lucky enough with what was there when he took the job as well. But what what we were talking about earlier with the likes of um, with like with the Liverpool and Man City game, if Liverpool beat Man City and we're saying oh Liverpool could go nine points ahead, it, Man City could actually go fourth if uh, if Leicester beat Arsenal and Chelsea beat Palace next week, and Liverpool's gap will actually only be eight points if if Chelsea or Leicester win and, and Liverpool beat Man City. So that just shows how well Chelsea and Leicester are both doing because. It still seems like it's a two horse race, and I think eventually it will end up still being a two horse race. But they're they're doing they're doing very well to keep that gap as as small as it is as, as it is. And as Pete said as well, the gap between fourth, third and fourth to fifth is I think five points as well. So they're really really starting to show their credentials as a proper top four team now. And um, like similar to what what we we're saying about Chelsea and you know Lampard deserves plaudits there for probably doing more than would be expected at this stage 
Leicester are really, really starting to to show what they're made of. Like, um, I really like watching them. I think they're really, really good to watch. Well, we'll have a quick mention of the uh, Leicester-Arsenal game that you mentioned uh, when we get on to Arsenal because I think if you're Leicester, you're rubbing your hands at that one and if you're Arsenal, it is the last game you want to be playing, I think. Uh, but anyway, we'll get on to that in a little bit. But first, uh, let's go to the quiz. Uh, it's the usual game. I'm going to say a whole load of teams that a player has played for and you tell me the player by the teams that he's played for. Uh, this first player began his career at Manchester United. Deck. Deck. Jonathan Greening? No. Peter. Ant. Peter. Luke Chadwick. Not Luke Chadwick. Ant. Ant. Peter Beardsley. Not Peter Beardsley. Uh, so began his career at Manchester United and then he played at a team called Jewish Guild. As in Jewish Guild, you have to be Jewish to play for them. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have to be Jewish to play for them, but that's what they're called. Well, it's spelled... I think it's a, it's a Welsh team, Pete. It's spelled Jewish, yeah. So he was there, uh, then he had a, a quick loan spell at Dunstable, but he never played for them. Uh, then he went to Stockport County. Deck. Deck. Ben Thornley? Not Ben Thornley, no. Uh, only played for Stockport County three times, then went to Cork Celtic. Oh my God, I should notice. <laughs> Ant. Ant. Is it George Best? It is George Best, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I know George Best played for Stockport County, that's what's been in my head. I know he played for Cork Celtic, but I just didn't think he fucking played for those other two stupid teams between. <laughs> uh, yeah, went on then to play for the Los Angeles Aztecs, Fulham, Los Angeles Aztecs again, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Hibs, San Jose Earthquakes, CB, Hong Kong Rangers, Bournemouth, uh, Brisbane Lions, the Osborne Park Gallup, Nuneaton Borough, and uh, he finished up at Tobermer. United, so uh, yeah, a stellar career after his uh, 361 games and 137 goals for United. <laughs> 7,486 points a day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right, well done. Point for Ant. Uh, next player then began his career at Luton Town. Went from Luton Town to Portsmouth. Just not feeling it today, lads. Went from Portsmouth to Bolton Wanderers. Peter. Peter. Dean Holdsworth. Not Dean Holdsworth. Ant. Ant. Is it Matt Taylor? It's Matty Taylor. Very ah. good. Two points. And we'll leave it there. Let's uh, let's move on. And uh, I suppose we should probably talk about Spurs then, who drew one all with Everton. But this game was overshadowed. And, I mean, the, for most people, it seemed anyway, the result didn't really matter after the horrific uh, injury to Gomez. Um, what did you think about uh, about Pochettino's response to that, lads? Because he, he I mean, obviously, while concerned about, about Gomez, uh, had a lot to say about Son getting the red card, which seemed to be given retroactively after the refs had had a look at it at VAR, and uh, they, they said that they took the severity of the injury into account, which I thought was a bit of a strange one. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a weird one. <laughs> he shouldn't have been sent off. Like, in all honesty, it was a kind of... It, it was a nothing tackle. It was, you know, maybe yellow card, but it was the kind of tackle you see all the time. Um, I think it was just really unfortunate the way Gomez is... I haven't watched it back because I just saw a brief snippet while live of his ankle, of his leg, ankle slash lower leg turned the, the wrong way. And I, I jumped halfway across the room. I, I won't lie, I'm very, very squeamish, especially with, with football injuries. General violence doesn't do it to me, but for some reason, legs bent back the other way just freak me out. Um, and 
Yeah, General no. violence not enough for you, Pete. No, I think that's the name of the pod, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, 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 I have, I have watched it back, but it seemed to me that when they showed the, the tackle, I haven't seen the collision, but it looked like his ankle kind of caught in the turf and then he kind of hits into Arie who didn't seem to do anything too wrong either so it's just a really kind of it was a like I said a kind of a book and maybe a pretty innocuous challenge in the in the bigger scheme of things like you see way worse tackles and I don't think anyone on the pitch none of the none of the Everton players were coming over pushing him or anything like that it was just one of these things you know so I know but like I think I'd say Son was actually like there's a school of thought that would say he was probably it was probably the right thing to send him off or no well Spurs should have been allowed to substitute him because I don't think he would have been able to continue to play he was mm. he was distraught but I I like a couple of people said that to me just after oh he was harsh and my initial reaction was who cares it's more about Gomez but I do agree he shouldn't have been sent off either. But it's just kind of, yeah, like we, yeah, it just kind of felt that, yeah, I was more concerned about Gomez than Son being sent off. But it was a ridiculous decision to send him off because, you know, what, what did they do? Endangering another player's safety. You see, worse. That's the official reason the Premier League have given that he endangered another player's safety. But it was a freak accident, and it's just a sign of referees not having a clue, really. Well, um, well that, that's kind of where I was going with it because obviously then that that you know it was it was VAR being the big story again even in a situation where somebody got injured as it was in the Liverpool game as it was somewhere else and I I, I don't want to move on from Spurs because that you know there's plenty to talk about with them but you know we're we're a bit over a quarter into the season now VAR is here and it has there's a, a large enough sample size for us to kind of just quickly look at it. Tech, I know at the start of the season you were well into it, or you, you at least you thought it was a good idea. Yeah. I think I was in principle when it first came in, but now, fuck, I don't think so. I'll be honest, there, there's a part of me that, well, VAR, a sneak peek, VAR will be appearing in our in our weekly segment at the end of the show, as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned. I was into VAR to start, but I just... I just thought it was ridiculous that so many people complained about it and then people were complaining about it as soon as it came in. But this weekend was a tipping point for me and I think it was a tipping point for a lot of people because it's just getting ridiculous. The Liverpool one was ridiculous. The Jorginho penalty, it was harsh, but he kicked him. And that was perfectly clear after watching it once. They I'm not exaggerating. They They must have watched the replay about 40 times over the space of, like you saw it the first time, max, that is a 30 second decision. But they're just, they've just got it all wrong. There's an arrogance with the English referees that they won't just use the European system of going to the side of the pitch. I think the referees are happy to push it back on VAR because they don't want to be the one making the decision. But even in that Spurs game, it was ridiculous. The, the Deli Ali handball, it's harsh. He didn't deliberately go up to do it, but his arm is above his head. The definition of a of a what's a, what's the term unnatural position. It like you could see the first replay that it hit his hand. They then watched it fifty times from different angles, 
and they give no penalty. So well, it's funny because it, it's like you said, Peter, that the refs are happy to let it go to VAR, but at the same time, VAR doesn't want to overtone, overturn on-pitch decisions. So it's just this weird limbo where nobody wants to make a call. But the, making the refs worse. Getting the decisions right after looking at it 50 times. That's my problem. Like, you know, it's, yeah... Like I like like you said, like I don't think before before VAR, if there was a decision that didn't go your way, grand. You, you know, you could bitch and moan about it. You can go, we've been done by the ref there, but that's just part of the game. It happens. Everybody gets done, and people say, ah, oh, it'll work out in the wash because everyone gets bad decisions against them at some stage. Whereas now, that's supposed to be gone, but it's and even worse it's, than it was before. That's the problem. It looks like you've been done even more by the ref because, like, I I, I don't mean to spang on like sour grapes, but that old the, the man you goal against Liverpool. Oh how, Jesus! How, how many more bloody times does he want to see it? There's a blatant foul, and and uh, Roberto Firmino's offside. The Deli Ali and ball. They're looking at these decisions a thousand times. The only really one I've seen them overturn and get right was the, the Zaha penalty against Arsenal. They just it, it does it. It's sort of like it, it is looking like the referees are looking at it. And I think Pete alluded to it with the arrogance of the English referees. I think that's a big problem, and it's been a big problem for a decade. The English referees are so arrogant. They think they're part and parcel of the game. They want to be in the middle of the game in the action, the camera on them. They're the celebrity. I'm in charge, you know, but it's, it's my way. You know, they're so arrogant. And I think that all the AR seems to do is back up some of their absolutely awful decisions they're coming out with. Um, you know, if it, if for me, it was supposed to be a safety net. It was supposed to be catching some of these absolute howlers that they were coming out with because they were incompetent and they were cowards and they wouldn't make a big decision. But it just seems to be vindicating them. It just seems to be, okay, referees made a call. Roberto Firmino's offside. How can we make it offside? And Deli Ali's unballed it. Let's watch it 65 times and take four minutes to agree with the original decision. It's a blatant handball. It, it's, they've got it so wrong. It, it, it's so bad, like, so bad. But do you know what's the funny thing, lads? The most entertaining game of the season was the midweek Carabao Cup game, the 5-5, right? No way oh, would that yeah. end at 5-5 if Farr was there. But it was, no. there, was there was just a freedom to it. And I think everybody is actually so sick of Farr almost that nobody wanted to even watch the replays. We were just going, it's a goal. No, leave it, it's a goal. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just this freedom to it. Like, it was, you know, it, yeah, it's... it's if, yeah, look, Farr is not the problem, I don't think. Farr can be useful. It's how it's being used is an absolute joke. And... The worrying thing is it seems to be getting worse and they seem to be taking longer to make decisions. It should be going the other way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where to go with it, but it's uh, it's it's this weekend was it was a real... I think even the people... I saw Jamie Carragher came out earlier. Um, he, he'd been not a champion of VAR, but he'd been kind of, you know... Speaking okay with it, yeah. 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 And even I think even you know he he was on Sky Sports yesterday. He was even saying you know enough's enough now the way it's been used. It's just ruining the game. And another thing that annoys me as well is there is no way I think we're losing about five minutes of football every half. There's no way they're adding on all the time it takes for our uh, injury time. You know, you know, you know before before VAR was brought in anywhere like before it was trial in the was it the World Cup they trialed it in and things like that before all that. I was completely against it. I thought it was it was a horrendous idea because it was going to take away from, you know, the passion of like when a goal is scored, waiting to see, or even the talking points of, 
you know, as as you were saying earlier, you know, if you, if your team gets done by a decision, maybe once in a blue moon, you 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 know afterwards there's a talking point or whatever. There's more talking points now from it. And like you said, Sam, that you know, I was I was kind of in favour of it at the start of the season. I was saying it seemed to have been working in other leagues, in other competitions. It was being used properly, and my attitude was let's see let's see how it goes. We're we're going to be using it, so let's just give them a chance to to use it. And if they use it the way that they should use it, then it should be an asset to the game. What's happened now as a result is the refs are getting worse in England because they're not making decisions, or they're hoping that VAR will kind of bail them up by going, "Yeah, you made the right decision there," or you know whatever's happening. There's there's one ref gives a decision through VAR in one game. Then I think it was I think it was Anthony Taylor and Martin Atkinson were kind of caught up in one. There was a penalty given in one game that was given by VAR. The following day, the, the ref who was told that's a penalty was in VAR, and he doesn't give a penalty for probably the same foul. And then and then you have the likes of Sun getting his red card. He actually probably should have been given his second yellow because he should have been booked earlier in the game for what I thought was a, a clear enough dive yesterday against Everton. So the red card itself isn't isn't exactly the issue because he probably deserved to have gotten a sending off in the end, but not for what he got a red card for, if that makes sense. This yeah. looks like this weekend is this moment where they look at it and go, right, we're not using it properly. As as we've mentioned, the offsides and Firmino's one is a big one and all the issues that have happened so far this season, up until this weekend, there's been so many this weekend that they need to just look and go, right, we're not using it properly. They've got referees not using it properly on the pitch because they're not going over to the monitor. They've got referees in um, Stockley Park not using it properly because they're not they're not given the correct information or they're viewing things 856 times before they make no decision on it. And then you have like just refs being overworked or underworked or underused or whatever they're doing, they're making a complete fucking balls of it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good referees who have retired who don't need to pass a fitness test. And they've been kicked out of the Premier League, basically, because of their age. And they were the best referees to have come through the country. And why not bring them back in? Let them operate VAR. Before VAR as well, there used to be um, this uh, this panel. You know, if a player was, if a player dived, got a penalty, and there'd be the retrospective punishment yeah, after yeah. a couple of days. They used to have ex-players on that. Danny Murphy used to be regularly on it. And other, other ex-players were on it. With referees, with other people. So... Surely there's something can be done. Like that's gone now because of VAR making the decisions on the, during the game, and they're saying, "Oh, th- that's going to eliminate the need for any retrospective punishment." So by that token, why don't they try and bring back some ex-referees, the likes of Howard Webb, the likes of even Mark Lattenberg, like some younger fellas, but you know, people who are who are older and and aren't refing anymore, um, get them in involved in the VAR. Maybe have a player's point of view, so an ex-player in there, not necessarily making a decision, a decision, but there, there can be a brief conversation for this, over the course of maybe 30 to 40 seconds. They're stopping the game for three or four minutes at a time here. So that's going to shorten the length of time the game is stopped and it's going to improve the quality. And then we'll actually think that, okay, there's a reason that there might be some errors here and there while they're getting used to that system. At the moment, the system they have just doesn't work. And it should because it works other places so it, so, so do we think that they'll change the system as it is or is this a tipping point where there's a backlash and people go we just don't want it in there at all no i think i think they're going i think they're going to have to change it the problem is now they they'll make this excuse that oh well you know we've played 
10 or 11 games so we can't change it halfway through the season so we have to see out the season yeah. with it and then review it again mm. it's, it's actually getting worse that that's kind of the problem because yeah what happened was they flipped last weekend started overruling stuff and then went so they, they, they don't know what they're doing they, they, they're inept they don't know what they're doing that much has kind of been perfectly clear um some crack though if you got like Man, the Man United Liverpool game put Ka- put Cara and, and Neville in charge of besides the I don't I personally I don't think it anything like that. It would, like I, I I hate to say it, but like I think one thing they should do is actually bring in a time limit and let just everybody accept it. Um like but they should be at that stage anyway, if they've yeah, if they've like, I've looked at it fifty times I, I and I can't think, decide. I, I don't think having three people is, is the right idea. I know where you're going, but that will just lead to a longer discussion. And if you have one lad, you know, two people can disagree about a decision and then you get nowhere. You need one person there. And I hate to say it because it's so, I hate to say it basically, but what, like the rugby, it works so well in rugby. The ref's mic'd up, comes up on the big screen. If they think there's an offside, they have a quick look. They don't draw lines or anything. They have a quick look. Say he looks onside, he looks offside, and that decision is it. I wouldn't be fully in favour of refs being mic'd up, right? But in this situation, if they had, they have a mic because they communicate with each other. If yeah. when it comes to a VAR decision, if the ref goes over and looks at the screen, and we hear the discussion that he's having with whoever's in the in the VAR room, mm. and he's discussing with his other officials, and he's talking to the players, and we can hear that, and he if he he explains and he's looked at it and he explains why he's making the decision which he should be able to explain quickly enough and clearly enough. For those couple of seconds, if they're mic'd up and we hear that, and not mic'd up for the rest of the game, or you know, it's muted. You can yeah. mute the mic for... And, and that at least then if they get things wrong, we'll know why they're making the decision and not having to wait until after the game for a stupid fucking poxy press release coming out that, that is really, they're talking through their holes with some of the things they're saying after the game. They're making up a reason as to why the decision was made and it's not really the, the reason. So... That, I think that would be a good idea, and that would be something that they could fix right now, and they don't have to make any major changes to it. Just go, referee, go look at the monitor. We're going to listen to what you're saying, and then there's no debate to be had then. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's Everton one, Spurs one. <laughs> uh, but but you know, there, there there you go. That's kind of the point, you know. I mean, there was a, a there was a game of football happened. There was a, a, a horrific thing that happened to a player, and we end up talking for 15 minutes about this this, this thing that just. Happens. Sam, it, it was a let, let, it was a terrible game of football. It was, it was, but you know, well, it, but <laughs> even even VR, so. I know, but yeah, but you know, even in the wider <laughs> sense, there's plenty to talk about with Spurs, who are actually worse than Man United. Um, but let's get some comic relief first, and let's talk about Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal, um, obviously, threw away their lead to uh, draw one all with Wolves. They uh, managed to score five goals against Liverpool and still lost in the middle of the week in a competition. <laughs> that Liverpool have said they don't even want to be in uh, and they've got Leicester coming up uh, next week in the league um, and Unai Emery could be on the way out as well I mean it's 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 it is continues to be the comedy show that keeps on giving Peter I'll go to you first on this um, talk about Unai Emery being out talk about Jose Mourinho coming in would Unai Emery leaving make a difference I mean it, it seems like he had been doing a decent job there for a while yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I think he's. He's. Yeah, I'm. I'm not so sure. He's been doing a good job. I think he. It looked that way at, <clears throat> at times last season. I think <clears throat> this. 
naming five captains and getting them or you know the five captains being elected i thought was an absolutely spineless uh way to go about it. he's created the, he created this the jacket situation uh, you know any you know if the the coach knows a player isn't popular with the fans he's he's at the emirates every game last season making him captain was was strange um very indecisive i think i don't mean to be bad his english is terrible um when watching his press conferences, it's very difficult to understand them. And by all accounts, Arsenal's players, um, when things go wrong, players like excuses. And the, one of the big things I'm hearing a lot now and is that he just can't really communicate with them. Um, he's difficult. It's He's finding it difficult to get his message across. Um, if anything summed up Arsenal and modern football, it was, you know, after the Crystal Palace game, uh, Lacazette liking a tweet from one of the one of the uh, Arsenal fan TV boys basically asking for Emre out. So, uh, yeah, it's, there's obviously there's obviously issues there. I think as well, just looking at Arsenal, I was saying at the start of the season, at least they play good football, but they, they don't really anymore. Like, they're kind of becoming a nutting team as well. They're poor at the back. They're just kind of relying on Aubameyang or, or Lacazette, you know, getting them a goal out, out of nothing at times or, or, you know, just maybe a couple of bits of quality in a game. They really don't have much about them at all. Um, and that doesn't reflect well on on Emre, who's, who's been there for, you know, well over a year now. Um, it's very... They're not going to finish. I don't mean to go out and limb. It's, it's, there's just so much negativity around that club. Um, the Xhaka situation, Ozil out of the team. You know, your highest earner not in six consecutive Premier League squads when he's not actually, you know, carrying an injury. It's, it's just a bizarre situation. Um, leaky at the back, no, don't seem to be very well organised, have, you know, they, all, all, all the same issues that were there under Wenger are still there. And I do realise that, that the club and a lot of the players there, it's almost... You know they almost need to be de-wengerized with the kind of culture that came in over the last decade of his tenure. They the wouldn't be able to play the men's game anymore if they they were de-wengerized. So that. You're on fire tonight, Jack. Um, <laughs> Sorry but, about that. But uh, yeah, no, they they they're just yeah, like the yeah, you've really thrown me off. I've never heard that. <laughs> Sorry. Ever, <laughs> I'm just up there. But uh, no, they were. Yeah, it's just there's nothing. They haven't progressed in in any way since Emery took over. There were signs last year that they were maybe a bit more competitive against the top six, but that seems to be kind of slipping away now. Even his his new sign, like Danny Celibos, he doesn't seem to be sure what to do with him. And I think one thing that was really really kind of was my buzzword of the weekend was predictable. Like it was predictable that Man United would struggle against a team when Solskjaer couldn't play on the counter attack. It was predictable that Arsenal would draw after, <laughs> would draw after they'd gone a goal ahead. It was predictable that Liverpool and Man City would come back. It was predictable that Chelsea would win, that Leicester would win. You know, it all just seemed, it all kind of went as you would thought it would be. But 
yeah, they, it's like they're, they're throwing away leads all the time, which is a sign of a really poor team. They've thrown away four, I think it's four two-goal leads in the last 12 games, which is is not good reading. It, they threw, uh, it was 370 games I was reading earlier on uh, was, the la- was the amount of games it took for them to, to throw away four two-goal leads beforehand. So there's obviously, you know, massive issues. He's done nothing to sort out their defence. He's done nothing to sort out their away form. So, and the fans don't like him. It's not looking good for him. And Jesus, oh, <laughs> Jose Mourinho, I don't know what to compare it to. It's like... I well, it's know. like him going in at Man United, really, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's just... Uh... Yeah, no, it's not, Sam. It's not, because it, it really isn't, because he was always very respectful of Man United. He trolled Arsenal the That's whole time. That's very true. Yeah, it yeah. Was, and it's like, I don't know how... I, I can think of something, but it's quite offensive, so I'll skip it, but it's... it's <laughs> Such, it's just such a contrast. I would, if I say what I'm going to say, it would really upset people. So okay, um, we'll just leave that. Uh, and I'll, mo- I'll move on to you then. Well, what about Jose and uh, the links to Arsenal? I mean, they've denied meeting him, but uh, that almost guarantees he'll be in the job in, in a couple of weeks. I was going to say, yeah, that's uh, that. That's the um, yeah, that, that that's the over. Oh yeah, we're never going to point him. So when uh, Roger said he wasn't going to sign Balotelli for Liverpool, and then he signed him. Um, yeah, there's. That'd be a strange one, wouldn't it? I don't know. I couldn't think of a less Arsenal manager in in how he sets up. But in all honesty, that could be what they need um, just to get them out this this sort of flux that this this seems to be stuck in. That's what we thought. About the, yeah, well, the uh, the, the five point gap. Um, you know, you mentioned that before between fifth and fourth with Arsenal's defence, it may as well be fifty points because they, they're never going to reclaim it as long as that. That back four remains as bad and as leaky as it is. I, you know, I, I genuinely thought David Luiz was a terrible signing at the start of the season. I didn't see why they were going for him. He's he's not known to be a really solid defender. He, he's you know he's he's all right. He's a personality. He's got a bit of character. He's technically a good footballer, but he's he's not he's not known for being a really good defender. And uh, he's just gone in there and added nothing. So whether they need somebody like Mourinho to come in. And just sort of smash it all down and and rebuild it all again from the back. Because one thing he can do is stop teams conceding. That's the thing he's built his career on, really. Um, you know, he, whether it would happen or not, I think it would be bizarre to see him in charge. The, the animosity that he had with with Wenger was was so so sharp and so bitter. Um, I know that obviously Wenger had sort of split the fan base about sort of sixty forty, had me towards the end, and there probably is still. A vociferous amount of Arsenal fans who probably wouldn't want Mourinho appointed out of respect for Wenger, but in all honesty, they've tried Emery and he hasn't really hasn't really worked. I thought he was a good manager, but there's clear issues there. There's so myriad of problems which he hasn't done anything to help. Um, and if things keep going the way they are, then yeah, they may need to turn to it. I mean, whether even somebody like Benitez or somebody like that, somebody who's really really switched on in getting teams organised, hard to beat, drumming in the mentality of of being hard-working and organised. Because I, mean, I, I don't mean to be dis- disrespectful towards the Arsenal players, but I mean, if you look at like Danny Ceballos just completely switching off of that Wolves goal, I don't even know what he was doing, uh, where he was looking. He just, just doesn't see Matinho go, ghosting in behind him. It's just not acceptable. Um, there, there are some Arsenal players there who, who are stealing a living really are stealing a living and I think under Mourinho or Benitez you wouldn't get away with that so 
yeah, maybe it is a good call. Bloody weird to see it, but it would be. Yeah, purely for entertainment value, I really, really hope it happens. You can just see the Arsenal board just picking up a phone and just saying, let's let's go nuclear. It was the nuclear option, isn't it? It really is. Arsenal fan TV just like setting up a whole new studio and buying Bentleys and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, read, I read on today, I don't know what, paper it was in where it's obviously a pretty terrible transfer rumour but the rumour was that Jose is going to come in and he's going to sign Eric Bailly to go beside David Luiz in defence. Can you imagine the combination of them two lunatics Jose is manager and Arsenal fan TV. Oh lads it'll be some crack. Uh, Christmas might come early. We'll uh, keep our eyes on that. Um, let's talk about United then, and uh, I'll actually go back to you then, Peter, because uh, after the Newcastle results, results hadn't actually been too bad, and then uh, they went away to Bournemouth at the weekend and never looked like getting a result. Bournemouth were very good, um, and I mean we can chat about the game. But uh, I think a more interesting thing is something that came up in the uh, Football Faithful WhatsApp group, which was chatting about. Uh, Sostar and should he should he make way should he be sacked should somebody else come in and I, I was looking at it and wondering I mean is there a point in changing manager I mean is there another manager who could come in with this club in the way it is and with this squad as it is and do better yes. yeah no yeah yeah there is there's plenty of managers out there that will... Man United are worse than their sum of their parts under Oleg on Solskjaer um, and that's the harsh reality. I'll talk. I won't talk about the game too much, but I will say I don't think Bournemouth were actually that good. I've seen Bournemouth play better and lose. Um, oh, maybe they weren't that good, but United they didn't have to. Like United never looked like getting a result. They don't have Newcastle weren't even that good when they bet us. West Ham didn't get out of second gear. Were so easy and predictable to play against. It, it's it's laughable. Um, I, to be I suppose one thing I could say was after the Liverpool game, which was a good performance, but it was a derby and we were just kind of sat in and played on the counter, really. I looked at the, the away, the four away games coming up and or even before the Liverpool game, I thought we'd be around the relegation zone and Solskjaer could be gone by now. So to to beat Parts and Belgrade. We were poor there. It was a really enjoyable win against Chelsea, but in the bigger scheme of things, you know, it doesn't really mean too much. Although by us going full strength in that, um, the only you know top club who went full strength kind of shows you that uh, you know where how low our priorities ha- have become. And then yeah, like there was the Norwich game. We were good at Norwich. To be sorry, I missed that one out. We were good at Norwich. Our probably our our best performance of of the season, played some good stuff, some good goals, and a lot of the talk going into the um, the Bournemouth game at the weekend was, oh, Marshall's back, Everton will, you know, Everton will be fine now, but there's just, just too many, there's just too many issues there, there's the lack of, there's a lack of tactical know-how and coaching, um, there's no patterns to United's play, they don't look to be a team that's you know, that, that have been coached to play a certain way. There's just a nothingness to it all apart from pace and hit them on the break. Um, I think one position that really hit home for me at watching at the weekend, that's a massive issue. And I think if we got a good player in there, it might help a bit anyway, is um, 
the lack of a creative central midfielder. Whether we're playing the kind of, you know, um, he normally plays a, a four-two-four-two-one-three. So that kind of central midfield attacking central midfielder behind the front three, or whether he plays, you know, at the three at the back. There's always that kind of, not really a number ten, but a and a, a, the more most advanced uh, mid central midfielder. And you know, we've tried Jesse Lingard there. Everyone's seen the memes. He hasn't scored or assisted a goal in a year. Juan Mata writes a great blog, but he's passed it as a top-level footballer. Um, and Andres Pereira is just so far below the level required to be a, a, a playing for a, a good Premier League club. So, you know, the, the, the player in that position, if we had a decent player there, I do think he would be able to knit things a, a, together a bit more. That's not saying that we'd be that much better. It's just one area that we, we definitely need to... Um, to improve on, but there are some decent players in there, and I do think there's a lot, an awful lot of managers out there that could do a better job. I'll go back to the same man, Pochettino, that's who I've always wanted, and I think he would go in there and get them going. Um, but just to hit it home for you, Sam, Man United are playing Brighton, right, on, on Sunday. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying we we'll lose, we could win, we might draw. I guarantee you if you watch that game for 90 minutes, there will be more of a clear idea of how Graham Potter, you'll actually be able to see Brighton playing in a way, little bits and pieces in the game, you'll go, oh, they've worked on that, on the training pitch or whatever it might be. You will not see that watching Man United. Graham Potter is a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There's about... She's, I don't know who who Solskjaer is a better manager than in the Premier League, and no, that's the truth, Sam. Like, yeah, yeah. So, who, so who, do, who, do you, like, who will you have in then, Peter? I mean, genuinely, I know, I know you mentioned Poch, but if Poch doesn't leave Spurs, although that could easily happen, who, who would you have in, and how soon do you think Jose should be pushed? <laughs> so Jose. Sorry, Ole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. I like. There's Allegri would definitely do. A good job. Um, me personally, I, I'd like to see. Yeah, I, I kind of have my mind fi- fixed on Pock because I think he is that new breed of coach that we need. Um, Allegri has has had a lot of success in his career, and if his English is good, I, I think he definitely. Um, he's very pragmatic coach as well, Allegri. Um, so he he'd make the best of what he has very well. Um, but. The, the, the honest answer is there isn't that much there aren't that many obvious candidates which is the problem with letting them go um, but I definitely think Man United need to be looking for a new manager for next season because I'm firmly, I firmly I believe we'll finish in the bottom half with Solskjaer as manager um, and that's not me I take no pleasure in that everyone knows I have never, never been in favour of him being the manager I, I don't take pleasure in it because I know he's a nice guy and he wants to do well and he, he loves Man United but he's just so far out of out of his depth. And I think all I, I, I think all, you know, ex the ex players and all sitting there on TV and and you know, not criticizing them is is, is starting to wear thin at me now, you know. Um call it, Devil's terrible, it is. Pete, isn't he? he Gary Devil's terrible for it. We've lost. Like look at the teams we lose to now. Like you can you can go to Bournemouth and you can lose. You can lose to West Ham, you can lose to Newcastle, but they don't even have to play well. That's the problem. Um 
you know, even like the, how last season ended, losing to Cardiff at home, all this kind of like you just look, just actually go to go to a list of Man United's fixtures and look at the teams they've lost to since last March, and it's it, it's it's ridiculous, and it's not the the, the Norwich game, Norwich are in nineteenth. It's it's the outlier, you know, um, that performance. So. It, it's it's not going to get better. To be fair to him, the, the players he signed are actually decent. Wambasaka made a made a howler at the, at, for the Bournemouth goal, but in general he's been good. Maguire hasn't set the world alight, but we ha- he has improved us. And you know, he, Dan James is is decent. Um, at least he kind of has. Solskjaer hasn't gone and just signed a load of. A load of players for the sake of it. That's one thing I'll, I'll definitely give him. But it's, it's it, look, I, it, it's not going to change for me. This is the way it's going to be, be with Man United um, for, for as long as, as as he's in charge. But I think eventually, by the end of the season, the results and where we finish in the table will give them no other option. But if if Man United aren't actively looking for another manager at the moment, they are they're they're being negligent because. Um, yeah, they 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 need to get someone in with a long term plan. That's no, why no. I'd, I'd rather see I'd see Allegri more parachute. Um, there's Nagel's man. There's Nagel's man out there. He's maybe a bit too young, but I would like to see, um, yeah, a kind of forty forty five year old with or forty five year old with defined ideas coming in. I bet I want Pac, Sam. End I know, story. I know, I know, I know. Uh, right, we're almost at the end of the show. We'll get to uh, Prick of the Week in just a minute. But first, it's time for the second round of the quiz. And Ant, you're two up. And our next player began his career at Millwall. Peter. Peter. Teddy Sheringham. No, went from Millwall to Blackburn Rovers. Ant. Ant. He's not Colin Henry, is it? No. Deck. Deck. Jason Wilcox. No. When, oh, I love Jason William Wilcox back in the day. When from Blackburn Rovers to West Ham. Deck. Deck. Lucas Neal. It is Lucas Neal. Very good. Pulls on back. Uh, right then. Next player began his career at Sakaria Spore. And went from there to Bursa Spore. Normally where you finish careers, no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter. Peter. Tunchai. Nope. Deck. Deck. Two guy. Not two guy, no. Uh, went from Bristol Sport to Galatasaray. Peter. Peter. Todd guy. No. <laughs> went from there. And. and. Is it Hassan Sash? No. Went from there to Torino. Went from Torino then back to Galatasaray. And. And. Is it Emre? No. Dick. Dick. Hakan It's Hakan Suker. Very good. Just because I've only got one left, Peter, I'm going to freeze you out of this because the lads are too old. So it's a head to head between the lads to see who wins. And I, I can't be bothered looking anymore up, to be honest. Uh, so this player began his career at a club called Taleres. Deck. Deck. Javier Hernandez. No. Went from there to a club called Banfield. Ant. Ant. Um, is it Carlos Tevez? No. And then went from there to Inter Milan, where he finished his career. I know his fucking name, but I can't think of it. Played for them 615 times. Deck. Deck. Zanetti. It's Javier Zanetti. Very, very oh, good. He's won it right at the death. Yeah, very good. What a comeback. Came from 2-0 down to win that 3-2. Very good, Deck. Proper Liverpool-style that comeback was. 
uh, let's get on to prick of the week then, Peter. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to go with VAR. That that's just it. It pissed me off no end this weekend. I just thought it was just worse. It just got worse and worse, and it it is getting worse and worse. So just VAR, Mike Riley, and all his cronies. Um, yeah, what a bunch of pricks. What a bunch of pricks, Stick. I am going to go for a controversial one. I'm going to say Serge Aurier for having to be subbed off uh, because of someone else's injury. I think I know it's fucking. I know. I know it's. That's you know, it's hard. It's harsh, but fuck off. Finish the game. Play. Play the game. Uh, that's harsh. Nah. Maybe uh, <laughs> I'm a prick. Yeah, I think I so. He's a prick for that. <laughs> and what about you? Uh, I'm just going to go for because we, we've been off for a while and I've been storing up a lot of hate for this man um, and for Martin Atkinson um, for the, the absolutely horrific old um, Man U Liverpool game and then bringing making up lines in the VAR and sending the wrong fucking player up what an absolute toss a smug little bastard as well oh he's horrible I eat him prick oh, can, can I just I, he's alright <laughs> no, he's not. He's audible. I'm only joking. Get him on here as well. Get him on the pod. It's me mind. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, we will be back again next week. We promise. This is it. We're back. Uh, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't already, and uh, we'll pop up in your feed wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and uh, spread the word and tell your friends as well. Just time to say thanks, Peter. Cheers, lads. Enjoy that. Cheers, Deck. Thank you. Thanks, Ant. Cheers, nice one, lads. And goodbye from me. See you next time.